I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, your source for Pac-12 gambling news with William Hills, Max Meyer, and the home of the Beta Rank College Football Statistical Model, Mr. Rob Bowen. This is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for our Colorado fans for joining us, because this is a special edition. We're talking about the Mel Tucker move to Michigan State. Going to just get into all the details there, so thank you for Tune in and listening. If you're new, you can subscribe to the podcast and all of your podcast catchers. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, which is where we're going to be hosting our contest regarding the Mel Tucker replacement. So um, definitely do that. One, two, PAC radio and um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's just get into this because I um, this is Rob where I think we thrive. Right. It, getting into the the, X, the X's and O's of the money, the money talk and the coaching hires. And it's so important for the conference. And I kind of want to throw the money issue at the very end because I think we're going to spend the most time there. But at the end of the day, if you've been living under a rock, Mel Tucker leaves uh, Colorado University to go over to Michigan State. And he initially had said that he wasn't quite uh, he wasn't going to do that. He was dedicated to the university. He goes to a couple fundraisers. There was a Sports Illustrated article that kind of outlined some of that stuff. At the end of the day, he gets his well, two things were doubled. Basically, the first thing was his salary. He moves from about two point four million a year at Colorado with a uh, and then gets a five point five million dollars a year salary at Michigan State. He gets a six year contract, puts him just outside the top ten paid coaches in the country, and additionally he gets his uh, salary pool for all of the coaches that he hires under him. So the defensive coordinators, all the position coaches, that jumps to about six million dollars in Michigan State. So um, initially he says no kind of makes the rounds with the donors and then Michigan state basically comes back and says, here's a boatload of money. <laughs> please, please stay here for six years and ends up jumping. So uh, we have a, a lot to talk about the direction we're going, but let's talk about initial thoughts, Rob, in regards to Tucker leaving and the hole that's left at Colorado after signing day, by the way. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, I mean, Mark Antonio, you know, resigning given that he had, he was facing potential legal troubles and some of those were, you know, starting to eat into his uh, time coaching. And there was some, some worry, I think that if he was not able to to deal with those, that it might also um, sort of exacerbate Michigan state's NCAA issues um, coming off that because his, one of his assistants is accusing him of, uh, improper recruiting practices, you name it on all as part of a, um, it's not an unlawful wrongful termination suit basically. Um, but it put Michigan state in the hole. I mean, there, this is very late in the, in the coaching change cycle and the Spartans, 
they were a little desperate. I mean, you can argue. I mean, I think I think a lot of folks when they're saying this, like this, you know, Michigan State got a you know a first year coach who's only won five games, um, but that's that's underselling Mel Tucker's resume a bit. Coach for Nick Saban, coach for Kirby Smart at Georgia, one of the best regarded defensive minds in college football. Um, you know, really had done some positive things at Colorado, I think, personnel-wise. I mean, Hippoliday had talked about that on the podcast, too. Um, and then if you're Michigan State, if you looked at what he had at Colorado, I mean, the main problem, and we've talked about it on the podcast, was, I mean, the staff looked like it was put together on a shoestring budget. Uh, so if you look at Mel Tucker and say, hey, what if we were able to surround him with better staff? Um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they took the plunge, and they they had the money to do it. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't want to get too much into the money side of it, but I mean, like, Michigan State had the big 10 megabucks to, to make this deal happen. But before we get into that, we need to talk about one of our sponsors, which is Omax Health. Living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than feeling discomfort. It can affect your entire life. Many of our listeners probably have some type of pain that has prevented them from relaxing or sleeping or stopped them from exercising. Perhaps it has been going for a few weeks or hasn't been going for a long time. It hasn't improved with any of the treatments that they've tried. Enter Omax Health. If you're looking at getting rid of nagging muscle or joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough of pain relief solution, the CryoFreeze CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health that is specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part is this is a 100% natural CBD-powered remedy, which works its magic within 10 minutes of the application, and the relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than the over-the-counter products. Omex Health is offering our listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on, plus free shipping. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. So just go to omaxhealth.com today to enter the promo code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X health.com to enter the promo code OVERTIME to get 20% off the CryoFreeze and site-wide products. This set the table before I get to you, Max. I want to highlight what was going on at Michigan State. In addition to what you are saying, Rob, with some of the recruiting violations, <laughs> so the uh, – Basically, their head coach had waited until the last minute in order to get that sweet, sweet bonus cash. <laughs> it was like, like, I mean, the day after, yeah. in order for him to get, I think it was like three to four million dollars. It was a big payout. He waited until the end. So that's kind of why you saw the surprise uh, departure at Michigan State and the vacancy happen. Um, he ends up cashing in on a lot of money there. To It was like this retention bonus. And if he stayed for a certain amount of time. So he gets a couple million dollars. One wondered whether or not because the timing was just bizarre. And if you listen to the um, podcast, ain't play nobody pod, podcast that hired like that basically jumped into the details behind this. There was a lot of smoke surrounding that program. So the timing was really interesting. And I don't want to get into all of that. You can listen to that podcast to hear it. But there was definitely like you mentioned, Rob, some NCAA possible issues. There were some accusations that were thrown around with one of the top recruiters at Michigan State. And then on top of that, you have uh, this bonus. And, and so just a real surprise departure, and, and it left them scrambling. So, yeah, when you take a look at the $5.5 million a year for six years, that's insane, yeah. Max. Like, that is that is just hardcore money being thrown at a coach that, yes, yeah, there's some pedigree there. But at the end of the day, 
I feel where the Colorado fans are coming from because that that is just a gut punch in regards to that program. Because last week we were talking about not being able to point a ton to their returning production, but talking about the vibes that Mel, Mel Tucker brought to that program. And, and that was true. Like that, You really felt like that program had an identity. It was moving in the right direction. Yeah, and admittedly, like, I I don't blame Mel Tucker at all. I think any of us would take a, a new job uh, w- that had, uh, I guess, like, stronger benefits with Big Ten versus Pac-12, and, and especially if they doubled our salary. I just hope that he maybe loosens up on the transfer talk uh, regarding his uh, football players going forward, especially because he's been bouncing around. But, yeah, no, I, I, I completely understand where Tucker's coming from, but, yeah, de- I would definitely – uh, less maybe uh, less in his tone saying that uh, life's there's no transfer portal in life and and stuff like that. Um, just because as a coach, he basically is a walking transfer portal with all these jobs that he's racked up over the years. And yeah, he does have great experience, even as NFL experience. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator. He was an interim head coach, so he's been on all levels. Uh, definitely a higher where Michigan state, like what Rob was saying, they were desperate uh, because their first choice was Luke fickle uh, Cincinnati's head coach. And once he turned them down uh, with when Tucker said no at first, which was reported, I, I felt like Michigan state really had to ramp things up and, and, and lock down their guy just because they didn't want to have, I guess like the, the closest comparison, like I, I would say is probably UCLA's basketball basketball head coaching search uh this past offseason where it seemed like they whiffed on everyone and they finally landed on mick cronin so yeah i mean michigan state they were desperate but as we'll go into later they can afford to be desperate whereas pac-12 programs really can't one thing to keep in mind here rob was who tucker's bringing with him because we had there'd been a little smoke and it was either last week or two weeks ago where we thought if tucker leaves is he going to bring his assistants with him and the answer sounds like no. <laughs> right? So, I mean, like, if you're so, like, I don't know if, if this is a Pac-12 podcast. I uh, I basically cover every college football team through the model in a lot of ways. And, like, Michigan State has had a terrible offense for years. I feel like they've played enough Pac-12 teams in the, in the recent history to for people to know that. I mean, they played Oregon in a bowl last year. Um, their offense is awful, but they've had a very, very good defense um, for a long time. And, and Tucker is going to keep some of those defensive guys uh, on staff. I mean, the the thing, if you're Michigan state and then, I mean, if you're Mel Tucker and you now have all of this assistant money to throw around, it's unlikely he's bringing almost anyone from uh, the offensive side of Colorado. I mean, and if he does, it's a mistake. I mean, I don't, I was not at all impressed with what they were, they did offensively this past season. So um, he, he'd be well advised to leave behind a lot of his, his offensive staff. So yeah, I mean they they made Laviska Chenault look mortal, which I thought was impossible. <laughs> and I mean it didn't cash in on Steve. I mean like they had, you know, like for throwing the football around, like they had you know quite a bit of talent for the, at QB and and they didn't have injuries, you know, beyond some things and dents for Chenault, but. I mean, just really, really underperformed. They grounded yeah. the Red Baron. I liked their their running backs. You know, I thought that they were young, and but I do think that that was a really exciting core because he saw some flashes in all three of them. And uh, but at the end of the day, like you mentioned, yeah, the offense wasn't really moving. I'm sorry, Max, cut you off. Yeah, no, so, and, and I mean, obviously, he's going to have to big, make big changes with Michigan State's offensive staff because I think one of the criticisms with Antonio for last season is that 
he he probably should have re- replaced a lot of guys on his offensive staff, and instead he just gave them all new. He basically mixed around his offensive coaching staff. Yeah. And gave like the I, I don't know the specifics, but it's like get, making your wide receivers coach, the quarterback coach, and the tight end coach your offensive coordinator, like stuff like that. And it and it didn't pan out at all because Michigan State's offense, as I can attest to, because I lost a ton of money on betting them this past season, was truly horrendous. So. Hopefully Mel Tucker uh, goes outside the Michigan State and Colorado networks when it comes to hiring his offensive staff in East Lansing. I want to ask you who your top people are and how long you think that they're going to be around and uh, how much money Colorado is going to offer them. Rob, who, who's going to be your guess? Uh, I, Colorado's in a real tough spot. I mean, Michigan State... <laughs> handed them off the hot potato of like, Oh no, congratulations. You get to be on the coaching search this late in the game. Um, Colorado. I mean, like they'd be, they'd be foolish not to interview Troy Calhoun at air force. Oh, that um, was mine. Uh, Ooh, okay. Right. Okay. I mean, like, but it's, it's hard because like, there's, there's not that many names that you're looking around and you're going, Oh yeah. Like that guy. Right. I think if you're, if you're Colorado, you maybe also go look at some of the the coordinators that got passed over that, I mean, the same way that Baylor, when they got hit with Matt rule, leaving, leaving for the NFL. Um, and it was a little late in the game. Then it was a little late in the game. Even for them, they went and got Dave Aranda um, from LSU. So Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, a lot of Ugh. Washington fans have some very hard feelings uh, about Steve Sarkeesian, but well, and USC he, fans, <laughs> he crushed it. Yeah. I mean, and USC fans, he crushed it. Um, I mean, the guy has been sober for five years. He crushed it as Alabama's offensive coordinator. Um, so might be worth, I mean, not people forget like Ed Orgeron. He was, he was terrible at Ole Miss his first time around as a head coach. Like he was angry, controlling, like he was not good <laughs> and he had to learn. Um, not everyone's going to be great their first time out, you know, like Sarkeesian might be someone that you could, that you could get that, given what your budget's going to be, um, at least could take care of one side of the ball. Um, some other names that I don't think are going to be in play. I mean, like I wouldn't think I would be surprised if they gave Craig bowl at Wyoming a call. Um, I'd be a little surprised if they like went out East to like a Matt coach. Like I think the coach at Buffalo or something like that. I just, I don't think those guys have really hit it. I also don't think like, like Luke Fickle's clearly not in play for them. Billy Napier, who decided to stay at Louisiana Lafayette, is not in play at all for Colorado. Um, they're they're not going to have the money, and they're not a big enough job. So, um, yeah, it's it's real tough. I mean, there's not even. I mean, maybe you could really try. I mean, Colorado could take some of that money and try to really pry Brian Harson out of Boise State, but. I don't know if you're Brian Harson that you'd be all that excited about taking that Colorado job. Also, I mean, like and Dan Hawkins flamed in Boulder. I, you know, a lot of the obviously Chris Peterson worked out, but it seems like the go-to, you know, I have I have Mordor for any any West Coast program. It's like immediately goes to Boise State. If I'm a Colorado yeah. fan, I'm like, ugh, like we're gonna. It just seems like the lazy pick and maybe he's an awesome coach. And obviously that program continues to be successful, but I'm not certain if it isn't just an institution thing. And obviously you have to have good people to come in and keep that institution going. But I don't know. It just seems like there are some other, uh, other opportunities out there, but, and I want to get some from Max here, but Rob, if you were to put in your submission for, you know, a contest, 
on who Colorado is going to pick as coach, how long they're going, how many years they're going to be offered, and how much money they're going to throw out. What would be your top picks? Oh, geez. I mean, I would say, I would say Troy Calhoun, and he goes, he he gets five years, and he probably gets like three million a year out of them. Okay. Okay. Max, who are some names that are hobby? By the way, we have Vegas odds on some of these stuff too. So we're definitely going to talk that. And I want to throw some other names at you. I kind of went down and, and looked at, uh, really dug into the well to figure out some other names out there. But Troy Calhoun, <laughs> both of you guys were on top of that. He was not on my list. So give me, give me some names here, Max. Well, first off, when you say Vegas odds, do you mean actually Vegas odds or offshore odds? Oh, uh, offshore, offshore odds. Okay, just because (laughs) I have to definitely keep an eye out for that now working at William Hill. So just want to make sure about that. Um, Yeah, so Calhoun, I mean, I really like the job that he's done at Air Force. And obviously he knows the state. Uh, He'll have the recruiting down. And I think just the Colorado job. I just think it's not it's not really a desirable one because I mean like sure it has the history but just being in the Pac-12 it is a, it is a pretty big rebuilding job so when I hear people suggest like Eric Bieniemy the the Chiefs offensive coordinator or even Brian Harson uh, the Boise State head coach like why would they go to that uh, like if I, I think that those are two guys that can get much better jobs. Uh, in conferences and with programs that will allow them to build up, build out their staff. And, and I think that with Ed Orgeron, um, where he failed at Ole Miss, but got, a, uh, but now is taking advantage of his second opportunity at LSU. LSU has this incredible uh, financials where he was able to build out an all-star staff and facilities yeah. that helped out with recruiting. And so I, I definitely think that Steve Sarkeesian will get another chance, but I think that he should, and especially now that he's coaching in the sec and sees like all of these advantages that the conference has like unless, and obviously it would never work for USC or, or I doubt it would happen in Oregon either, but like, why would you go back to the PAC 12 unless it's one of those marquee jobs? If you're a Steve Sarkeesian. So, um, yeah, yeah, so I, I just, I just think that the Colorado job, Especially because like, I, I think I saw a stat where they lost. They have they've had 13 losing seasons in their past 14 years. Like this is a huge rebuilding job, it, and it, especially with all the talent that's coming out. And luckily, I mean they, they are situated in in a easy division, so maybe that they can get a, a quicker turnaround. But yeah, I, I think Calhoun makes a lot of sense to me. And I, yeah, I, I would say like really, I think Rob hit it. Uh, hit that projection really well. Like I would say like five years, like maybe three, maybe 3.25 million, something around there uh, just because they're going to want to offer their next coach a long-term deal. Uh, and I'm at five years is, is pretty much the standard anyway, but just because you, you don't want to send that message that Colorado is, is just like a, a couple year gig before you're bounced out. No, it's a, it's a long-term situation. So yeah. Yeah. Here's a question I have if you're Colorado too is like Mel Tucker just on the force of his own personality and connections um, was really able to put, like address a lot like they, they had a pretty good recruiting class coming in by Colorado standards right and they had they picked up some guys in the transfer portal do those guys stay if Colorado doesn't get someone dynamic? That, I mean, like, are they able? I mean, because if you're Colorado, you're not going to be able to hold these kids hostage if they want out of their letter of intent. 
Um, you know, like the guys that transferred in, like they're, they may stay, they may transfer out, but I mean, like, like the, it, it does feel a little bit like with keeping the recruiting class together, like the pressure might be on for Colorado. No, that's interesting. What do you think, Max, with the, a lot of the transfers that come in? I know the, I think it was the linebacker who, who may have played at the edge, uh, depending on where they were going to put him from Alabama comes to mind as one of the top transfers that he was able to bring in Tucker, you know, during his tenure. Yeah. And it, the problem is like, it, it just happened. It happened solely in the process. Uh, and, and it's pretty much spring ball, like right around yeah. the corner. So it's definitely a really tough situation for uh, these players. And I mean, my, my stance has always been that if a coach leaves that his recruiting class should be able to transfer no penalty. And I really yeah. hope that the NCAA um, comes up with that rule in the future, because I, I just think that this is a terrible situation. And maybe like just give it a chance in spring ball if they if you don't click with the new coaching staff, then transfer. But yeah, it's it's just a rough situation all all around. Well, I think. Right? Do you do you think that Colorado has enough money to pry somebody out right before spring ball? Well, like yeah. a head coach. <laughs> well, I, well, I, so like if, if you went through there and you went through like a list because a lot of people the list that they're putting together are like sitting head coaches, like Michigan State had to like back up a wheelbarrow full of money to get Mel Tucker to leave this late in the game. Right. Um, Colorado doesn't have wheelbarrows full of money, you know, so is, is it, and then it gets into, and I, I say this, we saw this at say Arizona, um, you know, like we've, you know, you, you do see this, it does get tough, especially if you don't have resources. If you get a late coaching change, when most guys have already made their moves, it's hard to put together a staff, um, you know, and like that, it, like there's a lot could go sideways for Colorado with this that felt promising. No, I totally agree. And I want to directly answer your question and uh, I'll give like the minimum answer right now, because if you take a look at Colorado right now, they were, according to John Wilner, running a $3.4 million budget shortfall in their athletics department last year. Um, the fact that Tucker was able to double not only his salary, but the salary for his um, offensive and defensive assistants is very telling. And we'll get into some of the finances for the Pac-12. But a short answer is I would be really nervous if I'm a Colorado fan of their ability to pick off a premier head coach from a program right now, like right before spring ball happens. So I do think that they're going to have to think outside the box and either get some sort of alum or a defensive coordinator or like maybe they do look at B enemy and like throw him a lot more money than one would assume. We'll find out on that front. But I, I have a question that kind of answers that question vaguely and is where is Colorado um, as a job when you take into consideration everything uh, where does that rank in the Pac-12? Because I, I hear you, Max, where they haven't had a, a lot of winning seasons for a long time. But I'd also argue, like, it's a beautiful campus, and they have some history. And uh, But at the end of the day, like, where's the recruiting come from, coming from? They're not recruiting all in Colorado and Utah. They have to go out. No, it's California. Yeah. In, te in Texas. They in used Texas. to recruit Texas heavy, and they try to get back into it. But like where but where would the CU job rank? Like uh let, let's kind of do is the CU job more attractive than Washington State? Yeah. Is it more attractive than ASU? No. Is it more attractive than Cal? Yes. Ooh. 
Really? I, I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah, me, like. Yes, because of the uh, of Cal's financial situation. That's true. What about Stanford? No. Yes. I mean, because we throw this around, like I think Stanford's super hard. I think people forget how hard of a job Stanford no, I, actually I, no, is. No, Stan- Stanford is a really, really tough job. But I just think it's like private institution. Uh, I mean, they got money. They got a yeah, lot of they, money. Yeah, they they have money, and there's definitely a, a history factor. And I was saying with Colorado too, but I, I I think, yeah, I think Stanford is the tougher job, but I think it's one that comes with more reward. Is it, it more? Is it tougher was, than UCLA? Is Stanford tougher than UCLA? Or in terms of ranking, would you put UCLA as a more attractive job or Colorado as a more attractive job? UCLA, even though I mean yeah. similar financial situations at Cal as Cal, but that that program has much more upside than I think Cal does. Yeah, that makes that puts it around like six or seven in the conference. So I just right, but I mean, like, isn't if you're looking at it though, like I think Colorado and like Arizona are sort of like interchangeable, right? I would put Colorado ahead just because the campus is in like, I mean, I, I am in love with that campus and there is some history to Colorado. Arizona made it to like the Fiesta Bowl once. No, <laughs> like, no. I mean, yeah, but like that history is, I mean, Colorado's had one win. <laughs> like most of like, we talk about this history, like, and somebody had a good point. Like a lot of recruits weren't even alive. Right. And don't even know any of these players. And like, you know, like, does it even matter? I mean, we're getting to the point for like most Pac-12 schools where like a lot of recruits weren't even alive like or don't even remember the last time a Pac-12 won a, a, a championship in, in football or basketball um, you know like that history is sort of like fans remember that history but do recruits um, I don't know like, like Colorado I think is I think is a real tough job I mean I would put Arizona State ahead of you know like and I, I would maybe put and, and UCLA is certainly like if you get through like the top I mean, I might even there are times like I might even put UCLA ahead of Washington as a job because I think the recruit I think it's easier to recruit at UCLA than it is Washington. Um, most I mean most years, um, you know, and you've got a, I mean UCLA has a huge like they've got a big hole, but they've got a huge athletics budget overall. I mean UCLA ranks at number two. You know, they rank a little bit ahead of Washington as far as revenue coming in. Um, I don't know. I mean, like those. I think it's I think it's very clear like at the Pac-12 like the, who the very top is and the bottom, but I think it gets muddy on there too. Like I mean, Stanford we're in a renaissance of Stanford football, but historically it's a really hard job. And like Bill Walsh won six games at Stanford, <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard place to recruit like uh, and do well at for the long run. Um, Cal, you have some advantages. I mean, I might put Cal ahead of Colorado personally because I think that it's easier to recruit at Cal than it is at Colorado. Um, Utah, I think I, you, I almost feel like you have to see Utah without Kyle Whittingham to get a sense of what that program might be. Yeah. Um, you know, cause like we've only seen Utah in the PAC 12 with like very, very competent coaching. Um, you know, like they don't, Utah doesn't produce nearly enough players. They have to develop them. If they, if they were unable to do that, that Utah job might be a really hard job in the PAC 12. Yeah, um, I might and, put Colorado ahead of that job as far as like ease of recruiting because I I think Colorado might be easier to recruit than Utah. So it's I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, like it's easy, like it's easier to like you you might put, but you might also put both of the Arizona schools ahead because Arizona's starting to produce more talent, even though neither of those schools are landing it. I don't know. I mean, it's 
the Pac-12 itself, like that middle range gets really fuzzy for me, I guess you could say. What were you going to say, Max? Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm agreeing with Rob. Uh, no, there, there's clear tiers, and it's it's kind of hard to, you know, to move from tier to tier. Like, I, I feel yeah. like just given the location and the size of the market, like the, the tiers are very, very stable. And with and especially with Colorado, uh, with their recent lack of success, it's going to be it's. It, yeah, I, I just don't see them moving up to that. Not not even just the, the USC tier, but even like the air like I still I would put Arizona State and Stanford in a tier above Colorado. And I think yeah, that that's exactly. like the next step that Colorado is really aiming for, because I feel like with USC, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, I feel like that those are probably the best four jobs in the conference. And I don't think Colorado will ever be uh, one of those jobs. And so, yeah, it's tough for a middling Pac-12 program nowadays to to land a big time head coach. And and really, like what we've seen from a lot of these programs, it's it's retreads where they've had success in the past, but they're not exactly the hottest name today. And that might be the route to go. Or if you find a, a diamond in the rough uh with a group of five coach so yeah those seem to be like really the the two paths for for these types of uh programs just because you know that they're not getting the home run uh rising star uh higher but i was gonna say like on the retreads too i mean look at where the pac-12 ended up like financially like ucla and arizona and arizona state because they had to pay they, they had negotiated they'd paid market rates to keep their coaches, you know, and they'd given Todd Graham and Rich Rodriguez uh, and Jim Mora, you know, market level buyouts, you know, like double digit, you know, $10 million buyouts for Graham and, and Mora. And when the schools had to make those buyouts, they had to, they ended up, I mean, UCLA and Arizona did with retreads who were not only, I mean, were they retreads, but they were making a bunch of money from their buyouts from their previous employers still, and they were willing to take a discount on the initial year salary, um, you know, so that the schools could make the finances work from having fired their previous coach. I mean, Michigan State just paid Mark Antonio like $4 million to stay. (laughs) They paid $3 million from Mel Tucker's buyout. They have legal bills out the wazoo from Larry Nassar. They have fundraising problems out the wazoo from Larry Nassar. They're still getting sued on this wrongful termination that, you know, that, that D'Antonio is being sued on. And they were able to just back up like a truckload of money without breaking, you know, without breaking a sweat and offer him six years like that. That's six freaking years. (laughs) And and Mel Tucker is a top 12 paid coach in the country. I mean, you can see people, I think people throw around too, like it's, that like oh well Michigan State's overpaying I'm like but look at the like if you look at the position they were in they they paid they had to pay to get out of the the, the pickle that they were in right like they were gonna have to pay to get somebody and they had to pay to get out of their pickle and they did like they 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 made a hire if they had if they had hired Mel Tucker if he had never spent a year at Colorado and they had hired him as the defensive coordinator at Georgia people would not be panning this hire the way that they are. Yeah, no, I, I I 100% agree with you, and maybe like the the financials raise a bit of an eyebrow, but yeah. not like but not like that much of an eyebrow. Like I I feel like yeah, if Tucker State the extra year at Georgia, people would be saying, wow, how did Michigan State pull this off? Versus yeah, out, out of the hat, right? Yeah, like, 
Yeah, versus Tucker's five and seven season at Colorado, which I mean, like, admittedly, it was better than what I thought Colorado was going to go. So, True. and and Tucker definitely had some flaws in his first year at Colorado, but overall, like I, I thought he did a fine job. But people just see the one year of collegiate head coaching experience with a losing record, especially that it came in the Pac-12, and they're like, "Wow, what would what is Michigan State doing over paying this guy so much?" So, yeah. But if you're, what's interesting too? I mean, sorry, like I've got like is like Michigan State's the the fourth best job in a three-team division. Like it is not. I mean, you have it is loaded up top in that division with Ohio State and Michigan. Um, and Penn State, right? Like all three of those uh, programs have more history, more budget, you know, than you do. Um, and, and you know, for if you're Ohio, you're talking about Ohio State, you're talking about one of the absolute juggernauts in college football. Um, and Penn State's not far behind, and Michigan's not far behind Penn State. Um, and you know, for Mel Tucker to basically like, I mean, the Pac-12 South, I mean, USC should absolutely own it but it's fairly wide open and mel tucker basically said no i'm i'm out i'm gonna go i'm gonna go get butt my head up against those three teams every year for the you know next six years yeah go home and get paid and yeah, i mean like yeah bank money for my great-grandchildren <laughs> now i want to talk about more candidates and uh, and the odds on all the stuff the offshore odds and whatever but let's get into the money part but before we do because it's real i mean it's really important because and we're touching on this a little bit and i had got into a little back and forth in a good way like in a productive way with dan rubenstein from the solid verbal and dan's awesome and ty's awesome dan's been on the show uh, but there's a disagreement here about where the pac-12 is and why it matters in regards to like i mean i think this is a prime example of why having an awful TV contract can really harm the conference and shove it into like borderline big East type of, you know, before, before they basically got kicked out of the power five, like that is kind of, you know, looking forward and projecting a couple of years in the future. Let's talk about that in just a moment before we do I want to highlight another sponsor and that's simply safe. Every night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms. The vast majority of the time, they have no idea whether the alarm is real. Is there really a crime going on or not? All of the alarm companies can tell them is that there was a motion sensor that went off. Simply Safe home security is different. If there's a break-in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give the police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means the police dispatch up to 350 times faster than the normal burglar alarm. You get comprehensive protection of your entire home outdoor cameras doorbells that alert you when somebody's approaching from your home entry motion and glass break sensors that guard inside plus simply safe protects your home from fires water damage and carbon monoxide poisoning it's 24 7 monitoring by live security professionals you can set up your system yourself no tools needed or simply safe can do it for you and it's only 50 cents a day with no contract Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they'll know that our show sent you. That is simplysafe.com slash overtime. And, Rob, I know that we're hitting your sweet spot right now. We're talking about money issues in the Pac-12. And, and John Wilner has been on top of this all the time. And I'll set the table for you here because – I thought that Michigan State overpaid for Mel Tucker, but we just talked about like why they kind of had to and the position that they were in. But like you mentioned, I, my big issue was 
you know, take aside the fact that this team overpaid for a coach. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because the, the all of the talent in the Pac-12 is being pulled away to, like you mentioned, the fourth best team in a three-team league that's not going to see success, but it doesn't matter because they're able to offer all of this money plus set coaches up for success in the future by paying for their assistants, by paying for their coordinators. And when you take a look at some of these contracts that are being thrown out at the Big Ten level, at the SEC level, I mean, it is it is astronomical. But it is what it is. Like it's one thing to say, "Well, shoot, um, Michigan, Michigan State overpaid." But at the end of the day, like at some point, the Pac-12 is going to be a regional conference if it doesn't step up its game, and it has four years of just terrible returns coming back before they even get to a point where they can compete with the SEC and the Big Ten. And that's the reason you had Larry Scott go out and try to find private investors to fill that gap, and they weren't able to do it. Like. The, the, there is a reason to panic here if you're a Pac-12 fan and you want to compete at a level that is a national uh, that, that provides a national exposure and a national uh, notoriety and frankly to get into the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean they so the Pac-12 had um, you know like and if you don't follow John Canzano um, uh, at the Oregonian or uh, John Wilner, they they do a really good job of covering the finances of the Pac-12, but the the, the Pac-12 you know it. it Unlike the other conferences, they fully, they wholly own, although they, they, the SEC network um, doesn't own any part of the SEC network. ESPN owns the whole thing, um, but they, they, they still had to pay the SEC for the rights to it. But basically the, the Pac-12 network is in a position where they wholly own the network. Uh, and that has been a massive revenue failure for the Pac-12. One of the main differences, if you look at the current contracts, is that the Pac-12 network's uh, are bringing in somewhere in the neighborhood of like a million dollars, a million five sometimes some of the years for to the schools. I mean, that's incredibly low compared to the payouts that the SEC and the Big Ten are getting back. And that's not, I mean, like, yeah, the Pac-12 is going to get some reasonably large amount of money for the the uh, its tier one rights. And those are the tier one rights. So like the, the ESPN and Fox pay for like the first pick on a particular, you know, uh, for particular games. Those Those rights, you know, where, you know, they're going to come in and pick, you know, Oregon versus Washington, and that's going to be, you know, on on the afternoon on ABC or Fox. The Pac-12 is going to get a, a good chunk of money for that. Um, it may not be what the SEC is going to get for, just got from ESPN, but they're going to get paid something close to, you know, Power Five conference level money for that. What where the Pac-12 just falls way behind is, is, is on the on the on the networks, and as you talked about, they they've They've not been getting money back. Um, you know, and part of it is is that if you partner with the ESPNs and Foxes of the world, is that they use their weight to get you on more, to get you in more homes and get you know forced cable companies to carry you on lower tiers, so you end up with more subscribers and you get more money per subscriber. I mean, this is when when folks said, you know, like, and I and I certainly hope, and a lot of people when they talk about realignment and they talk about um they talk about they think about it in football terms like i i sincerely hope like the big 20 the big 10 which makes a ton of money when they last expanded they added rutgers and maryland and i can assure you it had nothing to do with football (laughs) and everything to do with that they could treat both both maryland which brought washington dc 
um, and Baltimore and Rutgers, which brought, you know, parts of Philly, uh, which weren't may have already not been in there with Penn State, but uh, New York as in market. So they could charge an in market rate um, for subscribers in that for in, in those markets. I mean, that's a ton of money right there. The Pac-12 and people are like, we need to add Boise State like that is that is not Boise State is not going to make you any money. <laughs> Like, I don't care about the football. BYU is not going to make you any money. You know, and like the Pac-12, just there aren't, they're not, they're not seriously attractive partners out there. Um, when they went out and they tried to fill the gap in revenue by selling 10%, you know, basically like selling off as an investment, you know, 10% uh, ownership of all Pac-12 media rights as a way to fill the gap that Pac-12 schools are currently facing in revenue versus their Power 5 peers, the they were not able to find a buyer at the you know anywhere near where they they were looking um that's this is all a real problem i mean and it's not just like four years away from the the money being there potentially uh when the new con when the new contracts might kick in it is the, the negotiations start this year for those new contracts like the sec contract is up a year ahead of the pac-12 they negotiated that in 2019 uh, and finished it up. So the Pac-12 will be negotiating this year uh, on this. And you just look, I mean, it's, it, the Pac-12 is in a really hard spot compared. Like some of it is just that people in, you know, in Big Ten country and the SEC just care a lot more about college football than a lot of folks in the Pac-12 do. But the other part is, is that the Pac-12 conference, other than USC and you could argue UCLA, like nobody's a serious heavyweight, even in their own market. You know, like they're, I mean, even if you look across like Washington, I mean, Washington is, behind, I mean, lines up behind every pro sports team in, in Seattle, you know, like this is, I mean, Cal and Stanford, they're, they're, you know, in the San Francisco market, they're way down the list. Uh, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, you know, it's a tough place that the Pac-12 sort of finds itself. And there's, there's not a lot of attractive partners. I mean, and if you did add somebody, it would be like a, it would be a pure money play, like adding UNLV so that you could count Vegas as in market, like that kind of play. Yeah. And Rob, to put a couple numbers on this, just to highlight the gap that currently exists, this isn't in the future, but where we're at right now. And some of this was taken from John Wilner and the Detroit Free Press. This is kind of the sources that we're at. But Michigan State in 2018 brought in $145.6 million, its athletic department. This year, Colorado brought in $94 million. I mean, that is, that is a significant like, that is $50 million, basically, of money that you can spend on coordinators and coaching to pay out a bad hire. And one of the things that I kind of ran into in regards to, like, kind of just talking with Dan about this is that, um, yeah, like, I mean, he was kind of putting this on the athletic directors and making good coaching hires. Totally get that. That makes that makes a ton of sense, right? You, every school wants their athletic department to make a good hire. The problem is, is if you make a bad hire the PAC 12 is locked in and it's a financially devastating issue, right? For like Arizona, right? Rich Rodriguez ends up uh, getting fired. They had to pay the buyout and all of a sudden Arizona is scrambling to be able to get money to bring in a coach and they bring in Kevin Sumlin 
And like you mentioned, Rob, this is a coach that had been already under payment <laughs> by Texas A&M for his buyout. So Arizona had to be really creative, and they were creative in trying to bring on a, a coach that could raise the level of the program. But they were financially hindered by that. Same thing with UCLA that got Chip Kelly, who was being paid by the San Francisco 49ers. Herm Edwards came in for $2 million a year. So that's not to say that some of these coaches aren't going to be able to raise a program to another level, but it really narrows the pool that these schools are able to do. And if you make a mistake, it is just, it is financially devastating. We have three programs right now that are, they're in dire straits and Colorado again, had a $3 million shortfall last year. Um, John Milner says over the next five years, each big 10 school will bring in $139 million more than the PAC 12. And at that point, it looks like the Pac-12, I mean, the Pac-12 looks like a group of five, not a Power Five conference when the disparity is that high, um, unless there's some changes that happen, Max. The, Larry Scott has definitely been playing the long game with this because last year, I mean, ESPN offered to take the uh, Pac-12's in, uh, distribution if the, if the conference would sign a 10-year extension. But I feel like with, with how Scott's been approaching this, it's already been such a sunken cost that he now really has to pray that the payout of 2024 will make it all worth it. But yeah, I mean, just like how you were saying with the financials and the PAC 12 spiral away, away from being a power five conference. But the thing is, it's not just the PAC 12. I think the big 12 and the ACC outside of Clemson is going to run into similar problems mm -hmm. as And just because the, the, the big 10 and, and SEC are so far and away uh, in terms of financials and, and in terms of programs, the, the top two conferences in the country. And between the financials for the Pac-12, along with recruiting, just because the state of California is being raided by the SEC and Big Ten and Clemson, and it just, it's a nightmare overall for the conference. And what Rob and I were discussing, actually, um, just or before the podcast was, I think one of Larry Scott's biggest mistakes that I don't really see a lot on here is that he is not a he he hasn't like been discussing every day that the college football playoff should be expanding. In fact, he he's not really he hasn't really been a big proponent of an 18 college football playoff at all. And right now with the current college football setup at 4, Pac-12 is the biggest loser uh in that situation and especially given the additional revenue opportunities that you have of making the playoff. And with the programs currently in the state that they're in, along with the superpowers of Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, I mean, Pac-12 is losing out on so much money since they're already behind the eight ball on making the college football playoff. And so the fact that Scott isn't going up to bat and, and screaming for an expansion in the playoff is really insane to me. No, totally agree. And and this expands past football. I think one of the things that was so interesting about the SEC was they're just raking in crap tons of money and we're sucking at college basketball. And the leadership from the SEC basically came down and told all of their schools, hey, listen, we are making more money than we can possibly spend. So you better go out and you hire the best possible people that you can to raise this basketball program so we can make more money that way. And if you don't, like you're going to be held accountable, basically. And it basically was like, 
I don't care if you overpay them, just go and pay them. And and then you saw the SEC start to make really interesting hires and in bringing in some of these coaches that some of them didn't work out. Like Avery Johnson, I thought was a, an interesting hire at Alabama. But like, if you're Alabama basketball, what do you got to lose? Like overpay an NBA coach and see what happens. And uh, so you, you saw the boats rising on that side too, because they were able to spend the money from what they were making in football. So I don't know. Well, it, it's- yeah. But it's content. I mean, the, the SEC needed good content for the SEC network, and they had money coming from football. You can make more money with good basketball content on there. I mean, it's the part where, like, and Pac-12 fans, like, I mean, I'm sorry, like, I feel like we explain, like, stuff that should be trivially obvious a lot. And, like, the reason the Pac-12 is at nine conference games versus eight it's not because like it's tough sledding or anything like that. It's money. The Pac-12 is not the SEC. It's not going to get some crazy amount of money for its tier one games. Like it's going to get a. It's, it needs. It needs to have nine conference games for its tier one games because it needs to be able to sell good matchups. Nobody's going to pay for you know like the Pac-12 to you know be the, in the way they would for Alabama. Um, so like it is. It is providing more good content. Um, and the Pac-12 is there. I mean, they have to do it. There's, there's no way around it. And um, that's, yeah, like the SEC, like they, they, they really understand. Like in the, the stuff that I don't know. I mean, like the worst, the worst interview that I read all week was if did either of you read the interview that like the transcript from what Michael Crow he went on one of the radio shows in Phoenix. No, he's ASU's president and he's big time Larry Scott supporter. I mean, he literally said like other those those other programs they just like those meaning the, the SEC and the big the the Big Ten like they just have a different model. <laughs> and I mean, he just he tried to cover it up with all like management speak basically. Um, but the truth is, I mean, if you're the Pac-12, you can you can say they overpaid for Mel Tucker. They were in a spot. They have now they paid to get out of that spot and put Colorado in that spot. If you are if you're the Pac-12, though, imagine if, uh, you know, there's a coach you really want to keep. Like, let's say Justin Wilcox really gets it going at Cal. Let, let's say they take a step forward. There's no way Cal can keep Justin Wilcox if someone comes knocking. You know, like, even if you're looking at, say, like, USC and Oregon, you could maybe set them aside and say, like, they've got rich uncles, you know, like Phil Knight. And then I, I think SC has a lot of booster money around the program that they could they could pay to sort of stay and keep up. But, you know, if you are, if you are like Washington and you may not be able to squeeze out additional money, you know, like where, where do you go? Like if, if Jimmy Lake really gets it rolling and let's say Auburn comes knocking, you know, like, but even Oregon, like, I mean, Mario Cristobal could get, you know, an offer to go coach at Florida or something like that at some point. I mean, like big money and, and Max is right. It's not just the PAC 12. I mean, Clemson is going to feel the bite of this too, as the ACC falls behind contract. ACC is an equal revenue payout for all the schools. So like Clemson and Florida state and Miami are going to feel the bite of having, you know, all of these other schools behind them that aren't bringing in as much money. The big 12 who I feel like is sort of in order for something to work where like a lot of folks sort of say like, Oh, well, and I think a lot of like say Washington fans feel like this is maybe they'll, like all of college football will break up, right? And you'll just have like one big super conference of like the top 30 team programs in college football. And they'll all, you know, and that would make the most money for those 30 programs. I feel like the big 12 is sort of the linchpin to make that happen. But I also feel like the big 12 sort of 
because they have unequal revenue distribution um, and Texas and Oklahoma are able to bring home a significantly larger piece of the pie than the other programs there. I feel like they're actually kind of happy in there. And so it, it, it is, does become tough. Like, and I, and, and Max and I were having this you know conversation a little bit before the pod. I mean, what, what happens if you're USC? What is, what are they? Cause the PAC 12 is, uh, is far more dependent on USC and UCLA than uh, I think a lot of people want to admit. There are more people in Southern California than there are in, um, I think you, there are more people in Southern California just on its own than there are in Arizona, Washington, and Oregon combined. Um, so you need, and just for recruiting, for TV, you name it, you need Southern California. Uh, and you know, the if USC starts to get lapped, because the Pac-12 has equal revenue distribution right now. Like if USC is getting smoked by Rutgers on money, I mean, if Vanderbilt has a far bigger football budget than the Trojans, you know, does USC continue to hang around and put up with that? I don't know. I mean, th- those questions I think Pac-12 fans should really ask themselves because if USC went independent <laughs> um, or because, I mean, if you're USC, why not? I mean, like you could take your tier one right, sell them like Notre Dame does, Right. You could take the stuff that maybe somebody doesn't want to broadcast. You could put that on the Dodgers network. They pay for that. You know, like you can make a lot more money than you're making from the Pac-12 right now. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's always the what the what are the other situations that could disrupt the model that we have right now? And I, obviously there are contracts and all that stuff, but it just it, the, the conference is in a weird spot right now. And if they don't get their act together, some of these things are going to pop up. One of the things. Robin, I want to get your take on this too, Max, where uh, we asked, we asked for people to submit questions and we had talked about the big 12 and some of the situations that they have there. One of the questions that we had was from Peter Martin who asked, would Colorado have been better off staying in the big 12 or would they have been better off joining the big 10 if that was an option? What do you think, Max? Well, they would definitely be better off in the Big Ten, but I don't think that's that. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that that's an option because that's not that wasn't a market that Jim Delaney was exactly looking at. Like with the with the Rutgers hire, he was obviously aiming for New York, and with Maryland, it was D.C. area. So Colorado doesn't exactly fit in that scope. Would they be better in the Big Twelve? Uh, I guess just because I feel like Colorado probably would have more success recruiting in the state of Texas than in California. But I think with Colorado, why they wanted to go to the PAC 12 in the first place was, uh, like improving their reputation as a university as a whole, just because with PAC 12 with Stanford, Cal USC, like the academic reputation is something that Colorado was really going for. And I feel like they felt like that the, leap from the big 12 to the pac 12 in in terms of athletics was negligible, but that um, going to the pac 12 for academic reasons, that was the reason why that they were willing to take that risk. So I think in terms of Colorado as an overall university, it probably like, I, I guess it was the right move, but if you're looking at the Colorado football program, not as much. And they, when, they made the move. I mean, they they have more of their alumni on the West Coast, um, and so it was it was partly also to tap. I mean, tap into their alumni network. I mean, that's the trouble when people talk about like Arizona and Arizona State maybe going to the Big Twelve or something like that. 
they are you you end up signing up to be Texas and Oklahoma's little brother, um, which some programs are more than happy to be. <laughs> As long as it keeps them in the power five. Um, but then you are, you know, you do lose connection to you. You are no longer going through and, you know, doing easy fundraisers with your alumni on the West Coast. Hmm. Uh, another question was from Hithliday, who asked, basically, is Colorado's financial situation an academic side hostility? And he sent a, an accompanying article that highlighted some of the frustration um, that raised from their board of regents, basically saying, look, Look, Tucker, you're not in the SEC anymore. Uh, but basically, he's saying, is that unique to Colorado and therefore a bad example for discussing the rest of the league standing, or does Arizona's dire straits give the Buffs some company? I don't know. What do you What do you think, Max? Do you, Do you think this is unique to Colorado and Arizona and um, a situation that is bad, but it's not worth panicking over? Well, so I think with your first tier, at least in terms of booster money. I think that USC and Oregon are in their own tier uh, compared to Washington and UCLA. But yeah, I just think given the state of the Pac-12 overall, that these types of things, yeah, it's it's not just Arizona and Colorado. It, it, like all of the schools I feel outside of Oregon and USC are really uh, susceptible to this type of thing. And that's why I, I, I've been surprised to see like people on Twitter – uh, just say that like it, it's not that big of a deal when really I, I think that it's t- time to pull the fire alarm. I was going to say a lot of schools in the Pac-12 also have a student fee, right? Like they're not full, like the f- athletic departments are not fully financially independent. Now, lots of schools also around the country have student fees, but it is it is tougher. Like if we did like the, you know, Ohio State has a gargantuan athletic budget over $200 million dollars. Um, it's a little easier for Ohio State to, you know, like just say, you know, whatever, you know, like we're going to, uh, you know, like our, our athletics are fully self-supporting, you know, in the Pac-12, like if Mel Tucker wants more money, like he he might be going and putting pressure on the athletic department to up the student fee and you're going to get serious kickback from uh, academics in that case because they feel the pressure on their students. And as an Arizona fan, seeing what happened with that program, right? So, again, the Rich Rodriguez thing happens. And Arizona isn't a rich school. There are certainly some wealthy alumni that are part of the program. But Arizona held on to Marcel Yates, who was only getting paid like $400,000 or something. And they held on him the entire year because they didn't want to pay his buyout. And you think of any other school, and this isn't just unique to Arizona. Think if you're Oregon State, let's say for, you know, for sake of argument that Jonathan Jonathan Smith has two bad years or something, and you're locked into a contract after extending him. Like Oregon State probably isn't going to have the money to take care of that. Um, You know, if you're Cal, who already has issues, like imagine if they would have hired somebody that wasn't Justin Wilcox. (laughs) Like the the amount of now you have a buyout that they have to go through. UCLA is going through the same issues. I mean, I, I do think that it. Outside of some of the, the highest level schools here that are able to raise money privately and do all that stuff, like um, it, it is, it is a major issue. Let's go to one more question. But, well, well, I was going to say, like, even look at USC, where I feel like yeah. part of the yeah. reason why they they kept Clay Helton for another year is his reported twenty million dollar buyout. So, oh my god, it, that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid, but still, <laughs> but it's, stupid, it is what it is. Com- that is comically bad negotiation, but like, if well, you're welcome, USC, welcome to the Lynn Swan. <laughs> I know, like you're gonna you're gonna give a twenty million dollar buyout to a coach no one else is gonna hire. Um, but I mean, like to 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 
put on like the that question too like for for these programs i mean like it's not just like you know the you know the the atmosphere on the the Pac-12 campuses, and you're going to, like the faculty on Pac-12 campuses are going to be more empowered because these are these are highly highly driven academic research institutions first and foremost. But like the 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 truth of the matter is like if you're UCLA, you're in a ten million dollar hole this year. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people around UCLA who would love to fire Chip Kelly, but they can't, and they may not be able to fire him ever like they may have they may have to let his contract run out um given his buyout i mean and the same thing really goes for like people that are clamoring in arizona for kevin someone to be gone like arizona barely put together the scratch to like get kevin someone in there in the first place um and that it is like when you look across the pac-12 i mean oregon has enough money right now with Phil Knight there to, to compete at like an SEC type level. I mean, the same way that like T Boone Pickens allowed Oklahoma state to yeah. punch very much above its weight. But at the same time, like Mike Riley loses his offensive coordinator basically every year. Um, you know, even with T Boone Pickens, like, and what happens? I mean, what happens when, if you're Mike Oregon, Gundy. Oh, Mike yeah, Gundy. I mean, Mike Gundy, not Mike Riley, like Mike Gundy, but like, if you know, what happens, like what's Oregon's plan? Like, I mean, does does Phil Knight have an everlasting endowment that will continue to support Oregon athletics? Because Phil Knight's getting kind of old. <laughs> I mean, like, how does the Pac-12? I mean, I guess when you look across these football programs and you look at, like what's the plan? Like, really, what is the plan? Because there's no the the money doesn't the money doesn't necessarily guarantee you're always going to make great hires. It does allow you to erase mistakes. Yeah. You know, like if you if you make a bad hire, you can erase it. But there's no like the the argument that people make about like you like that Rubenstein was making that I thought was sort of ludicrous is like you just have to make really good hires. If you make really good hires, someone else is going to come knocking with more money and hire them. Um, and there's no draft, like there's no there's no mechanism that is available in pro sports to level this field, right? Like you will just end up in a permanent space below, and that's not going to get fixed. Yeah. Let's, let's get to, I have a bunch of names here that I want to get quick thoughts on, uh, but let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We are talking possible replacements for Mel Tucker now that he's moved on to Michigan State. And let's talk about, and I forget what website this is. I'll, I'll put it in the links in the show notes. But basically, uh, this is an offshore gambling site's odds on the uh, possible names to replace Mel Tucker. And right now, they are Darren Shiverini at plus 150, Andy Avalos at plus 400, who is the defensive coordinator of Oregon, Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator at USC, is plus 700. Blake Anderson, plus 800, who's the Arkansas State head coach. I have no idea how he got in there. It's kind of weird. Um, Eric Bieniemy, uh, plus 1,000, who's the Chiefs offensive coordinator. I think he didn't call plays, though, so I want to get you guys' thoughts on that. 
Uh, Jim Levitt at plus 1,200, who's the FAU defensive coordinator. Obviously, he had been the D.C. at Colorado for a while, really lifted their defense up, and then was at Oregon before that. He's also the University of South Florida head coach for a number of years. And then Craig Bull coming in at plus 1,500, who's the Washington, I'm sorry, the Wyoming head coach and uh, was the head coach at Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, I'm sorry, North Dakota State that got them like a gazillion trophies there in Division Two. Max, any of these names jump out for you? Well, I'm just I, – I, I think Cheverini is the worthy favorite. Um, yeah, Biennemi, I feel, is the is the trap, if, if anything, just because, like, he has the, the alum uh, – obviously, he, he's a Colorado alum. But I just think given his last stint as offensive coordinator and the fact that he is currently, the, like, the most sought-after offensive coordinator in football, even though he didn't get – uh, any jobs this coaching cycle just because he was still in the playoffs, but he did call plays uh, for the Chiefs okay. uh, during during their Super Bowl run. So I, I just think that he can get a much, much better job uh, than Colorado, considering the last two Andy Reid assistants or offensive coordinators both ended up with NFL head coaching jobs and, and Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson. And, and they didn't win a, a, a championship under Reid. So, yeah, I, I definitely think the enemy – uh, can do much better than Colorado, and I, I don't see him as the next Colorado head coach. I think that would definitely be a career misstep. But, yeah, and, and no Steve Sarkeesian in those odds. No, I, I, thought, I thought that was interesting. I'm sure they've updated it since, but this came out a few days ago. So, <laughs> But, I mean, does Biennemi even want to recruit? Like, I, I feel like you have to ask this question with every, every pro coach these days because I mean, recruiting is nonstop, 24-7, you know, and I think a lot of guys, when they go to the pros, they sort of relish the fact that they just get to focus on coaching. Yeah, I mean, I do like pretty high net worth fundraising, and it's it's even a grind there. And I'm not like texting eighteen year olds, you know, or, or <laughs> connecting with them on their Instagram and trying to figure out how TikTok works. Like, you know, going from working like directly under the Super Bowl <laughs> champion head coach to like, hey, like one of my, one of the favorite stories that I heard was that. It was all these recruits that were being called by Chip Kelly and and basically complaining and the parents complained, like, why is he calling us? I'm just thinking, like, the audacity and this was this was when Kelly still had a little bit more gusto, right? The audacity of like a sixteen or seventeen year old to not pick up the phone when freaking Chip Kelly is calling you. It's just <laughs> like it must be soul sucking <laughs> for that UCLA staff. So yeah, yeah. That, that could be really interesting. Um and, oh and I was gonna say and also so the other two uh, guys that were higher up, uh, Andy Abelos and Graham Harrell, they are projected to be the coordinators of two of the better units, not just in the Pac-12, but in the entire country next yeah. year. So I can't imagine that they'd want to leave now, especially when there's so much potential for their stock to be much higher next offseason. Darren Shiverini, it's Shiverini or Shiverini, whatever. I, I, I always... It's like a hot stove for me when schools go, well, he's an alum and he can rally the base and and, yeah. and you don't have to be a play caller as head coach. I understand that you could do the CEO role um, and he is a good recruiter. He went from offensive coordinator back down to, I think he's coaching the wide receiver yeah. coach. Yeah. Um, and certainly is somebody that's been able to bring in good players there, but man, like to hand the keys over that just, that just seems like, that would be your third or fourth best option, Rob. 
I, so fans always fall back on this because like they're they're like this like they're 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 like the spurned lover. They're like, I just want to find someone that will never leave me. And so <laughs> they're like, what about an alum? An alum would never leave me. And so it's always fans always go back to the alum, you know, like um in these situations. I mean, in almost any situation when there's a you know a hire, you always have to like genuflect before an alumni. But um I, he stunk. I mean, he stunk as offensive coordinator. That said, I don't think you have to be an offense. Like, I don't think you have to be a play caller to be a head coach. Um, I think that he has uh, he has legit recruiting chops. I mean, he was retained by Mel Tucker um, for a reason. He's yeah. very well. I mean, that said, like you start to get into all of the sort of like flashing warning signs too. Like all the players love him and. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, like, oh, he's an alum, and, uh, you know, like, he could keep the recruiting class together. And yeah, if, all you're, if, you're, are... if you're a Colorado fan, the entire Arizona fan base were saying the same thing about Marcel Yates. So just know that, like, yes. he's a recruiter. Oh. He's, you know, he's got the he's got the locker room. He's going to hold the recruiting class together. So just know that, like, that is also a possibility. <laughs> I mean, but like it sometimes works. I mean, like sometimes you get Dabo Sweeney, but if you're argued like that is anecdotal evidence, like if you look at overall, these kinds of hires don't often work, (laughs) you know, like or sometimes you get Ed Ed Orgeron who was on, you know, uh, on staff at LSU. But those get like Ed Orgeron had come in really with a plan. I mean, like a real plan and had learned from his time uh, both at Ole Miss and then at at, at USC. you know, and Dabo is just like a one in a million type hire. I mean, he's one of the more exceptional college football coaches, you know, ever. Like, you know, really elevating Clemson to where they're at is almost astounding, even given their history. Like, they've they've been good, but they've never been this good. Um, so the the Chivarini, like, I just, I don't think it's a bad, I don't think it's a bad name. Like, if you're Colorado, I don't think it's a bad name, but it reeks of desperation and it reeks of cheapness to to me and that's what concerns me about it for colorado having watched um some pac-12 schools i mean i think including including ucla and including arizona um and arizona state put together some staffs when they had to go make a coaching change that were done on the cheap um, in Colorado when they made a coaching change, you know, and, and, uh, this, you know, and brought Mel Tucker and like their, their staff was cheap. Um, you know, like that, you don't, you just look around it and just, like, well, the, well, the argument, sort of I guess me. the argument would be you could pay him less and you can throw more money into hiring a better staff. Plus they have the $3 million well, buyout money. The, what if he just kept the most, like, what if at the end of this, you end up with Gio Verini as your head coach and he keeps most of the current staff on. Oh, that'd be worst awful. Case, so. Worst case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, if, what if it's what if it's like Mel Tucker's staff minus Mel Tucker? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm not like I mean, because if you're Chiaverini, like how many connections do you have? Like that sort of like most coaches when that what makes it work when a coach goes out and puts together you know a staff and it works is like they're often bringing guys with them that were at their previous job. So if you hire the up and coming group of five coach, he often brings the guys that made it work at that group of five job with him. Now that doesn't always work when you transition up to power five, but you're at least getting the guys that made it work at the last job there. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
Mel Tucker, it was disappointing because he, he in a lot of ways has so many connections, but he ended up hiring, you know, like a guy that was like working as an analyst on Georgia's staff who wasn't that great of an offensive coordinator at his previous stops, you know, like, and he filled out when he filled out the staff, it was just like it, it none of those guys really jumped out at you. Like he wasn't picking off in the way like Lane Kiffin is. I mean, like Lane, like Lane Kiffin has gone in at Ole Miss and like made some hires, like pulled some guys off other SEC staffs, like from position coach jobs <laughs> that guy pays colorado, that guy pays yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, colorado, colorado did nothing nothing like that um but that's like that's the fear if you're colorado here is like that chiaverini it's a feel-good hire it allows you to feel like there's less you know that there's you know that you're able to make this run more smoothly in the short run, but you pay in the long run. Like, and that's like a lot of these hires like that, like Bill Stewart at West Virginia, right? Like felt good in the short run. You paid hard in the long run. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's get through a couple more of these names and let's get like one or two sentence answers. Um, and we'll start with you, Max here. So Jim Levitt, uh, FAU defensive coordinator right now. I actually think that that would be an, a good hire uh, just because of his uh, previous defensive success, at Colorado, uh, he really did wonders at Oregon. Like the uh, defense that he inherited there was absolutely abysmal, and he turned them definitely into a respectable unit before Avalos again went another uh, level up. So I just think with his experience at Colorado and his defensive expertise, I mean, age age is, is a bit of an issue, but I think overall that's a good hire. Uh, Rob Craig Bull, uh, Wyoming head coach, and then the North Dakota State coach. I mean, he's certainly confident and he would bring in, you know, he would bring in some really solid defense with him. Um, the concern, I guess, is like, can't, I mean, I don't, I think he's done okay at Wyoming. Um, he, he's, it's a really hard job, but he hasn't done great at Wyoming. Um, and the offense has been atrocious and he hasn't really shown much willingness to change there. And he, he seems like a guy that doesn't have like a lot of willingness to change. Mm. And and feel free to laugh these out if they're not like actually viable. I just kind of went through and thought, okay, here are some other names. Max, Ken Niamatololo, uh, the Navy head coach. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think that he's done a great job at Navy. I just, I, I personally don't see the fit here in Colorado. Rob, Joe Salavea, the defensive line recruiting master at Oregon. He's another one. I mean, he's another one. He's not going to get a, he's not going to get a DC shot unless he goes down a level probably. Um, yeah. I, I think that'd be a decent hire if you're Colorado. I mean, it, if it doesn't work, of course, like, you know, it could look, you could have a lot of egg on your face, but you also might be able to negotiate a contract that makes it less painful if it doesn't work. Max Brian Harson, the Boise state head coach. Uh, I think that that would be a home run hire for Colorado. I just don't think that Harson would go to Colorado. Rob, Rocky Long, former head coach at San Diego State and do now it. head defensive do coordinator. It. Like, at- <laughs> do it. Like, take your $3 million from Michigan State and hire Rocky Long. Like, Rocky Long, I, like, I, once upon a time, I was an undergraduate student at the University of New Mexico, and Rocky Long was the head coach there. And the University of New Mexico has a laughably bad 
football program and Rocky Long got them decent and got them to a bowl. And then he went and like turned around, you know, like San Diego State. Like people say that was Brady Hoke. Brady Hoke mostly built that San Diego State program on Rocky Long's defense. And then Rocky Long got the head coaching job. And they were far better than they had any reasonable expectation to be. Like if you could get Rocky Long who is now back as the defensive coordinator at New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I'm just saying, just saying, do it, do it. Like the thing is, is like, he, he seems reluctant to make changes um, at San Diego state and had some run-ins with the the administration on that. Like his offense was trash. I mean, his offense was hot garbage and he didn't want to revamp it. So like you, you would need to revamp the offense, but you would get a really solid, really, really solid head coach. Um, who would bring a great defense with him? Max Morgan Scally, the defensive coordinator at Utah. Any way that Utah could pull or Colorado could pull him away um, from being the head coach in waiting at Salt Lake City? Uh, that's an interesting one. I mean, we've seen coaches in waiting. Like, I, like I, I think that the, a good example for Pac-12 is Mike Hopkins. Uh, yeah. Everyone yeah. thought that he was he was going to succeed uh, Bayheim at Syracuse, but. Bayheim really didn't have any inclination of stepping down anytime soon. So Hopkins and in a surprising move went to Washington. And I don't I personally don't see Kyle Whittingham slowing down anytime soon. So if Colorado can come up with a, a strong offer uh for Scalia, I think that, that would be an interesting hire for sure. Um, make it part of a rivalry. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that defense would be nasty. Um, we mentioned Billy Napier and Luke Fickle not being viable options. Don't think either of those are going to jump. Let's go to Bill Benbaugh, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, who uh, is a offensive lineman guru, too. I don't think he's calling plays, though. He's named as the co-offensive coordinator, but at least wanted to throw him out there. Uh, he's the, yeah, he's a good recruiter. They've got, I mean, they, he, he's a very good offensive line coach. He's got some PAC 12 experience. He was at Arizona when Arizona was running the air raid under Mike Stoops. Um, you know, like he'd be, he'd be a good hire. He'd bring, he would bring a lot of offensive competency to Colorado. Um, and he would bring a lot, he would likely bring a lot of Texas recruiting connections with the staff he would put together. Max, is there any way that Colorado, and I think the answer is no, but I want to hear your thoughts. Uh, is there any way Colorado can bring in Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma right now, who revamped Washington State's defense and then went to Ohio State? I think Grinch could do better, personally. So I, I, I would say no. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I think Grinch is personally one of the better defensive coordinators in the country. And, and I know people are going to say, like Oklahoma's defense and got absolutely destroyed against LSU, but that LSU offense was yeah, so did, once, so did Clemson's, Clemson's defense. Clemson went Clemson went into a three eight and dared LSU to throw the football, and they were the number one ranked defense in Beta Rank, and they got torched by LSU. So like yeah, so I, I mean getting I, smoked by Oklahoma or LSU is fine. Yeah, and Oklahoma made strides in year one under Grant. Like I I, I think that he's going to get a really good head coaching job soon yeah i think so it's not at colorado i would wait if i were him yeah i'm with you um rob tim deruder the defensive coordinator at cal and the former head coach at fresno state i mean he's an interesting hire that he he kind of stunk at fresno state yeah <laughs> um he would he would bring i think he's had good experience with seeing what wilcox has done at cal and what has worked 
Um, I think he, one of the things that Wilcox has done very well is he's tried to pinpoint places too where Cal can make headway in recruiting. Like Cal is sneaky good at going into Arizona and pulling out prospects um, under the radar uh, with some of the hires they made. I, I think he would do that. I just, I'm not sure, like, who does Tim DeRoyer, like, with all these guys, like, they'd have to come out with a staff plan and, like, who does Tim DeRoyer bring with them? Is yeah. my question, I guess you could say. No, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. You know, trying to look for successful halves of a team and the def- the defense at Cal's. Maybe I mean, he could be somebody you should talk to. Um, Max Ryan Walters, Mizzou defensive coordinator from California, and is known as a really strong secondary coach. I don't even know who that is, so no no comment from me. <laughs> that that's a name that's been floating around by a lot of the CU guys. Is it, is, like Missouri had a good defense. Um and he was retained by Eli Drinkwitz, I believe. Yeah. Like he'd be he he's a Colorado alum, like he'd be a good hire uh if they could get him away. He's young too. I mean like really young guy. Um so I mean could potentially recruit like um yeah. He'd be a good he'd be a good hire. Being retained by the staff, that was interesting to me because, you know, usually you want your guys in place. So for the for be able to have a new coach come in and still say, all right, you can be the defensive coordinator and still coach the secondary was interesting. Plus, you have all those those NFL guys from CU that that started in the secondary that are now playing on Sundays. Pretty interesting. A um, few more names coming in from Andrew Percival. So these are more out of the box and less Western. You know, all the names that I had mentioned for the most part were had some some sort of hook into the West Coast. A couple of them they brought up was Willie Fritz the Tulane head coach um what do you think Rob I don't I mean if you're Willie Fritz why would you jump at this job you know like it it feels like at this point like that's I mean it's the same problem as like Napier like people had to I mean Fritz was a good name and would have been a good name for a lot of the open jobs that were uh available around college football this season um and he did not jump at those jobs um so I mean that's he, he seems like a guy like Billy Napier that might be waiting for, you know, a really good job down the road. Yeah. Lance Leopold, Max, the Buffalo head coach, he was over at Wisconsin Whitewater and won like 17,000 national championships in Division Three. Yeah. I mean, I I think that Leopold is, is a good head coach. And, I mean, he started off kind of slow at Buffalo. But past two years, they are uh, just looking at it now. He has 18 wins there, so I, I think that that would be a good hire if they if they could uh, get him over from the MAC. But yeah, I mean, I, I I think that people would commend Colorado for that hire. The one issue would be very few ties to the West Coast. I mean, that is a big jump yeah. from Buffalo all the way to Colorado. But uh, <laughs> one more name here, Rob, for you is uh, Chris Creighton, the Eastern Michigan head coach, uh, born in San Francisco. But really, outside of that, not a lot of ties to the West Coast. Uh, I mean, uh, if you want to lose the press conference. (laughs) 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 I mean, the Mac was pretty bad. I mean, the Mac overall was pretty bad this season. Um, I mean, it's interesting. Like, what's interesting is that, like, you're you're in such a tough spot if you're Colorado. I mean, like some of the names getting kicked around are like Jim McElwain in the local press. Oh like no, the, um, yeah, no, in the like in the Denver Post, like Jim McElwain's getting kicked around. There are people that are insisting. I can't even remember the guy's name. That Colorado like would be smart, and this is like bananas sport, like drunk sports writer talk. Um, that Colorado has to interview this like really successful high school coach. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's. There, you're just 
Like you are in such a tough spot. I mean, but like this is also the off season. Like Arkansas with all their crazy SEC money. I mean, they they hired Georgia's offensive line coach. Um, you know, I mean, he's like got heart, Rob. He's got heart. Well, there was just it seemed like that there were there were a lot of names, but not a lot of. I mean, like there was there were some open like there were a lot of openings this off season, but it didn't seem like that there were as many qualified candidates out there as I think um, maybe would expected. And oddly enough, like. You know, like Alabama didn't have a bunch of staff turnover this offseason um, like they normally do. So they're bringing back a lot of their staff, um, which is interesting. I I, um, I don't know, like if Colorado, like they're none of the none of those names jump out. I mean, and Colorado is probably going to end up with a name that doesn't jump out, I guess you could say. So if you're going to end up with a name that doesn't jump out, like get somebody with like a crazy fireworks offensive scheme or something like that, that, you know, at least the, the your hardcore fans will get excited about. Yeah, we mentioned Steve Sarkeesian. And one more question was from Andrew Percival, who asked uh, basically about about age. You know, are, are coaches too old? How long do you take or how much? weight do you basically put into somebody's age and you know a couple of things stand out for me i thought um beelines hire from west virginia over to michigan was a really good one regardless of age and then uh the guy that moved over from and his name escapes me max you'll probably know uh the george mason coach who went over to miami and uh, uh, jim jim laranega yeah i mean yeah. that older coach but I mean, Miami basketball was like, and kind of still is a thing, you know, compared, you know, it's all relative, but what he was able to do to raise Miami's, um, scope in the ACC as somebody that, you know, probably is set in his ways, but he was a really good X's and O's coach. I know. Do you think that translates to college football, Max? Well, so I just think with the current situation Colorado's in, you don't want to hire someone that's what that, I guess that was my problem with Jim Levitt was you you want to sell your fan base on a long-term hire this time around. You don't want to think like, oh, like he's in his 60s uh, or even early 70s, but I don't know if that would happen. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's in his 60s. Like maybe he'll be there for like five, six years before he retires. And that's like your best – and that's the best-case scenario. Like I, I think Colorado, the fans, like they want to see someone – who can be the face of the program for a long time. And that's what they thought Tucker was. And I think that if you have this much coaching turnover, it really endangers the program, I think. So I I just, I can't see Colorado taking that risk with someone who's on the older side. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I I think, athletic directors are smart i mean like if they if you think you i mean most coaches you're only gonna get four years out of them anyway right (laughs) and and in the at the rate colorado has been going through coaches i mean like you know john Embry was there for two mel tucker was there for one you know like you're if you if you think you can get four years i mean the hardest the hardest thing here is not getting a coach to stay the hardest thing is winning football games um so if you could hire you know athletic directors would be smart to to be willing to hire an older coach but i guess when you look across like the older coaches that are sort of going right now um you know that like that you might that colorado might be able to get like i mean rocky long i mean that'd, that'd be the number one name on the list i mean and then maybe you'd go to craig bowl but you know like I mean, neither like those guys probably win, get you decent, you know, decent number, like play, get you to play decent football, but, um, they're, they're not gonna, they, they may not excite the fan base and they, they may not, they may not 
recruit. They may not move much. Yeah, they may not move much of the needle in recruiting at all. Okay. Well, let's let's leave it there. We went about an hour and 20 minutes into Colorado's head coaching search. If you're listening, like tune in. We we'll definitely do this anytime there's a coaching hire if we're bringing on new new, you know, we'll keep an eye definitely on the offensive and defensive coordinators over at CU and who they bring on. We'll do some advanced stats analysis of that. Um Guys, thank you for coming on. Definitely, if you, if you like the show, leave a review and um, and stay tuned because we'll continue to record weekly through the off season. And looking forward to talking more Pac-12 football and Pac-12 basketball in the coming weeks. Visit simplysafe.com/slash/overtime and you'll get free shipping and a sixty-day risk-free trial. Oh my gosh. 